Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Kuwait. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee. I was born in Mumbai. I was born in Vientiane. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Hear, bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Ghassan bin Hammam grew up in Yemen during the late 20th century, a time of civil turmoil. At age 26, Ghassan left for the U.S. to get an education and start a new life. He thought he'd finally escaped the devastation and insecurity of Yemen. He had no idea that this fighting would be the catalyst for a two-year-long limbo, away from his family and his home. Natalia Lopez has this story, which begins as Ghassan hands over his passport to the U.S. Embassy in Yemen's capital, Sana'a, expecting to receive a visa to return to his family in the U.S. For me, I was was an H-1 visa. It's one visa means you didn't have green card, you didn't have a passport, so you didn't have travel document. You have to go back and forth. You have to reapply. For that time, it was my first time when I will be applying for a visa under H-1 category. H-1 is for work permit because my visa was through the Intel. And um, so I went. Um, I get the interview. I was, of course, I waited a little bit longer, but the interview was actually very smooth. In fact, it was actually excellent. We are working at Intel. Uh, he asked me about the, my credential. I said, I have a PhD in robotics. But at least he was happy. Can I take a picture for this? Yeah, I take a picture. You can take a picture, whatever. But I'm happy. And he told me that, go and pay the, the fees for the visa, which is a good sign. So the interview was extremely smooth. Uh, it was no interview. It was no questioning, right? Just um, proud and good news. I mean, sorry, happy and all, all actually uh, signed that he would approve it. He took my passport. So it took only one week or two weeks, that's fine. I said, okay, because my, my return flight was actually by the end of January. So I waited for two weeks, nothing happened. I have to cancel my flight, return flight. Uh, by the end of January, nothing happened. February 17th, at the night, I, have, I, was, I, was, I was sitting with my a friend of mine. He told me that his friend who worked in the embassy, US embassy told him that the embassy closed and they destroyed and burned all documents and everything, and they left. So I went there, I said, no, no one is there. Um, so I was really stumbled. What are you, what, what's, what is this? Uh, no one sent me an email. No one sent me any notification. No one called me to get, get and come pick up your passport. Nothing. This was 2015. A civil war in Yemen had just flared into violence and Ghassan was caught in the middle with no documents and nowhere to turn. His family was across the ocean in the United States, and without a re-entry visa and his passport, Ghassan had no way to get back. Yemen hadn't always been a difficult and violent place for Ghassan. He grew up in Aden, southern Yemen's capital city. Throughout his childhood, Ghassan had always been a good student. After graduating from university, he pursued a Ph.D. in robotics and computer engineering far away from home in Columbus, Ohio. I was a very good student, actually. I get uh, always like ranked first, second, third. 
And then when I graduated, actually, I graduated, I think, the third in the, in the, in the group. So I decided at that time, I said, okay, this, I, will get, uh, I would like to be a, back, go back to my country as a uh, professor. To get that, you have to have a PhD. So, okay, I'm going to get a PhD. Of course, again, I will get the best. I'm going to go to the highest state, even though I will have to find a scholarship. But I was so confident that I will get a scholarship. So I applied for a visa. Of course, I have well-established documents. I have the acceptance from Ohio State, have very high, good credential. The, uh, the, the, what they call it, the, um, the officer was so good. He said, oh, I'm, I'm really happy that you're going to go high. And she, I think she was from Ohio as well. So she said, okay, well, it'll take about one week to two weeks to give you the clearance. And of course, one, after one week, they give me the visa. Throughout the second year of his PhD, Ghassan and Fatin, the sister of a close friend, kept a long-distance relationship, using emails and phone calls to keep in touch. They were eventually married the next summer in Yemen. Ghassan and Fatin then moved back to Ohio, where they started their new family together. But my baby born was actually born in 2007. She was premature, and the baby was only 1.7 pounds. She was like this. She put the put her in my hand, and she was, of course, struggling because of the breathing. And I named her because after my mom, Faiza. Faiza means the winner, female winner. In Arabic, we have the fem- feminine and, and uh, masculine. A year and a half after Faiza's birth, their son Muhammad was born. Ghassan began to notice differences in the way Muhammad acted compared to his older sister. So the autism, it's not an easy diagnosed uh, uh, issue or behavior issue. Uh, we captured this issue when he was two year and a half. Why? Because we have a, we have a baseline, my daughter, our daughter. So I compared my daughter to, to uh, Muhammad and I found there is some kind of gaps. One of the symptoms that we saw that he was delayed in speaking. At Ohio State, uh, they, have, they have a research center called the Ohio State uh, uh, Autism Center. So I, I asked for an interview and they have an initial interview with him and they found that, yeah, he might have autism. So after three years, we found out and that was good for him because that's when he, we start catching up and start focusing on. Diagnosis was not easy for us. First of all, we knew there's no treatment. We knew that there's only behavior, only he can improve his life. There's no like medicine you can take. So it wasn't easy. But, but also we found that we were now so much limited in our uh, moving, right? We cannot move, move anywhere. We only have to go where, places where he can get support. And I did my research and I knew that autistic kids in back home, they are basically left alone. So I knew I didn't want, my, I didn't want to put my son into that situation. So at that stage, we, f- we found that uh, Muhammad's best place would be a place where he gets support and uh, help, and that was the U.S. Ghassan knew he now had to find a permanent reason to stay in the United States after finishing his Ph.D. He found a job working for Intel and moved his family to Beaverton, Oregon. Ghassan and his family found the support they needed for Mohammed, began to settle down, and even started planning visits to their families back in Yemen. So in 2014, uh, March 3rd, I started working with Intel officially. 
so yes, we're, uh, we're established there. Uh, you get a good salary. Uh, we have a townhouse that I'm, I was renting. We start getting the furnitures from Ikea, all the stuff. So we were completely settled. And Muhammad changed 100%. He, he now interact. He can, he can write. Family play a major role in any autistic kids. But you have to have a, a support, education support system behind you to teach you how to do it. Ghassan had not been back to Yemen in six years. So, towards the end of 2014, he decided to return to visit his family. At that time, Ghassan had an H-1 visa, or a special immigration document that allowed him to stay and work in the United States. For Yemenis, if you have an H-1 visa, every time you travel outside the U.S., you need to make an appointment to have a re-entry visa stamped in your passport in order to return. I haven't seen my, my extended family, my sister, my siblings, my, my brothers. So I said, okay, by the end of this year, 2014, um, December 25th, I'm going to take my vacation. So when I went to Yemen, um, I have no problem uh, booking an appointment. It was tough, but I have an appointment. I landed in Yemen, I think, January 1st, and I have an interview with the embassy. It was January 5th. So I went. Um, I get the interview. But the interview was actually very smooth. In fact, it was actually excellent. Uh, he asked me about the, my credential. I said, I have a PhD in robotics. And he said, okay, I think you're fine. You should be fine. I'm happy. It might take one to two weeks to do some kind of background check. I said, yeah, no problem. While Ghassan had taken all the steps he needed to try to return to the U.S., unrest in Yemen was erupting. Despite its unification in 1990, civil infighting continued. The Houthis, an armed movement within Yemen, had attacked and taken over the capital of Sana'a, leading U.S. embassy officials to evacuate and destroy all official documents, including Ghassan's visa application and passport. The moment Ghassan knew that his documents were destroyed by U.S. embassy officials, he went to the embassy, desperate to get them back. I went to the embassy myself. I'm going to go because I need to take my passport. It's actually closed. No, no one is there. I need to get my passport back. What's, what is this? Uh, no one sent me an email. No one sent me any notification. No one called me to get, get and come pick up your passport. Nothing. And after two weeks. That was by the end of February. They replied back from Washington and said, yes, indeed, we did evacuate. And we didn't have time to basically notify anyone. And now we are just arrived to Washington and we are stable. We can actually now reply to your email. And I did ask them again, what happened to my document? They said, we destroyed them. And especially the, the passport. Anything could be replaced, but except the passport, it's uh, my passport. And at that time, we are, remember, our government is in a chaos, so it's not easy to, to publish a new passport. It's a chaos. Um, so anyhow, I took this news and then said, what's next? I was, I, I was feeling lost. Lost. In fact, I'm, I'm a guy who actually usually take the hit, but that time I was completely shocked because I was surprised. I have to uh, extend my stay. I took my three weeks of vacation for the next year, 2015, uh, and then nothing happened. So then I have to be put under leave without pay from Intel. So my manager asked me, son, I cannot do more than three weeks. 
you have been missing, so let's do something. So I say, I'm going to put you under leave without pay. My family is still in, in, in Beaverton, here. In order to maintain his H-1 visa, Ghassan needed his intel job. But without pay, he started to borrow from his friends to support his family in Beaverton. He had no idea how he was going to get a new passport inside of a war-torn country. Without a U.S. embassy, Ghassan also had to find a new country where he could file his visa application. So at that time, I said, okay, what next? Then they said, you have to reapply again. You have to repeat that process. I said, where? I said, you have the option. You can go anywhere. Um, of course, I'm, I'm still my, my family in here. Uh, I'm ha- I haven't given up yet, right? And there is no option for me to bring them to Yemen back, right? And Yemen is also in a chaos. So I, I use my leverage, okay, I need a passport. Remember, to issue a passport, you have to have a proof that your passport was actually lost. I didn't have any proof. I have an email. When I showed that to the authority, he said, this is an email, it's not a document. Then I asked the embassy, could you give me something official do- email? I said, no, uh, official document, no, this is the only thing you're gonna get from us, to be honest with you. So uh, th- yes, I used the connection, and I was have, I have reasons. I get a new passport, I reapplied again in Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. So I traveled to Malaysia, Kuala Lumpur. I arrived there, I think, um, um, March 7th, right? Because I'm trying to catch up. I'm now in, uh, in a leave without pay, remember? I still have to sponsor my family here. So I went there, I have an interview. The interview was smooth. We have to redo the security check and all the stuff, but I said, I already have that before. Uh, I'm already now waiting for a long time. So, sorry, sir, you cannot do anything. We have to redo everything. So he asked me for the same document. He asked me for everything again. I provide that to him. I waited for two weeks. Remember, I'm now in Kuala Lumpur, not in my place. So I'm having expenses. Remember, I'm also pay without leave, even though my father can help. No way I'm going to ask him anything. He was, he was offering. So I have to take the hit internally, hide it, take care of my stuff by other means, like personal loans. From By the way, I have good friends, good brothers, we call them, right? They have no problem to support me at least. But of course, there is a limitation. I kept everything secret. I don't want to have any pressure on my wife. She had my debit card and my credit card. She didn't know anything. I kept their life here normal. My daughter was still in the, in the private school. I don't want to change anything because you, they will miss father and they miss uh, environment. She didn't know that what's, what's behind the scenes. She didn't know how much I owe people because it's, it's already tough for her. So I kept everything. I managed the house from outside. Uh, and that's what you can see now. Every month I have to arrange something. That's when the difficulties happen, right? Every month you have to find something, right? <laughs> uh, which is not easy. It's not easy to go uh, to bed while you know that you have loans that you cannot even fulfill. She, she was still hoping we we're gonna get back, but of course now to get, things start getting complicated. With the two kids, my son is actually autistic and it, she's in a new environment. It, was not, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. So for me, as the faith play a big role here. We, we say in our prayer, oh God, oh Lord, decide me the best, wherever it is. I never actually pray to bring me back to USA. I didn't know what's my best. I said, oh, Lord, you know what's my situation? Guide me to the best and show me the right path. 
I stayed two weeks in Kuala Lumpur. I went back to Yemen. That was around uh, March 20th. So there's no point for me to stay. We have a page where you can check your status. It says always AP, under uh, administrative processing. So I check that every one hour, except in the weekend. That's why I don't like weekend at that time. Sunday, Saturday, and Sunday for me was the, the worst time because that's the time where I, where I know I cannot get any news. There's no hope. So it was very painful. Ghassan wanted to get his visa as soon as it was ready in Malaysia. He mailed his passport to his friend in Kuala Lumpur, hoping that he would be able to carry his passport to the embassy when the papers were ready. At the same time, the fighting in Yemen continued to escalate. In March of 2015, a couple of days after he mailed his passport, Saudi Arabia began its military intervention in Yemen. Bombs began to drop near Ghassan's home and the airport which held his unsent passport. In their coalition, started actually attacking the, the places where the Houthis are actually capturing, especially the capital. So they start bombing the airport and the logistic places. Uh, and I live two miles from the airport. It was, it was crazy. So the war started. And after, of course, we have some of the shock at the beginning, the first week of shock, because it was continuous bombing every day, every hour. Well, we didn't have shelters, by the way. Huh? So we stay only just waiting for our death. That's it. There is no like uh, warning around alarm. No, that's just bombing. And since I live close from the airport and I close from the uh, uh, Air Force uh, uh, base, it was, it was tough, tough, tough on us. But after one week, I start now, people start collecting them, themselves. So I start tracking. We still have internet. Very weak, but we still have internet. So I start tracking my password because I'm thinking about my password. I didn't see any, any update. After one month or two months, the, the post office in Yemen called me. We have something for you. Come and take, have a look. So I went to the airport where they have all these packages that actually was delayed because of the airstrike, and I found my passport there. So at least I have something, there. good news. Even with his passport safely back, Ghassan received no updates on his visa. It had been one year and five months since he had left his family in the U.S. His wife and kids were still waiting there, supported by tens of thousands of dollars he had borrowed from his friends. With the help of community members in Oregon, Ghassan's wife was able to reach the local FBI branch who sent two agents to meet with Ghassan in May of 2016 in Jordan. That time they started communicating with me, Ghassan, uh, we would like to meet with you. Uh, I said, where? I said, we have to meet you somewhere face to face. I said, where? Uh, so I said, okay, I'm gonna, I can meet you in Malaysia or I can meet you anywhere. This took about a year to schedule, a year. That time I, was t- I started also teaching as a volunteer in the University of Sana'a as a professor in mechatronics uh, and robotics. Volunteer, no pay, zero pay. Uh, but that was good for me to forget all this stress. And by the end of uh, May 2016, we have a, an arrangement, the, the FBI in Oregon, the branch in Oregon said, good news, we will have a meeting with you in Jordan. And hopefully by the time we're gonna meet you, we will have your visa already issued. So. Two uh, agents came from Portland to see me in Jordan. So, I tra- yeah, I traveled to Jordan. I met her in the embassy, and I, oh, I met there in, in the conference room. When I explained to her, I have a family, have been seeing them for about a year or more. 
with an autistic kid, a family in without I'm I'm without pay. So when I explained to her the situation, I said, uh, and then I, I she I saw her feeling emotions. That's not easy to find. And after that, she said, I'm going to do my best. Sorry, Gassan, we cannot give you the visa. But hopefully after we left. So the promise was they will come with a visa. Now they came without visa. But after we give me the visa after they leave and nothing happened. So I stayed in Jordan from May, end of May, till beginning of December. With the FBI helping, Gassan had renewed hope for his return. So he waited and waited and waited. By now, it had been more than two years of separation, two years of missing his wife and his children growing up without him. Still, Gassan kept his hourly ritual of checking for a change in his status. I checked for two years, every hour, my status, right? Like, there's a website you have to look in and then you have to enter the numbers, which I memorized. If I have my phone, it's become like an addiction, right? And I, I see nothing, right? You have, because nothing changed, right? The date never changed from the last update was 2015, and the status never changed. In December 7th, at 9 a.m., Friday, I checked, I found a change in the date. The status is still the same, but the date changed, which means someone have updated the case. Right away, I sent an email questioning, I have seen change in my status. What happened? They said back, finally, your case has cleared. I have a joy and a shock. Uh, shock, surprise, but in total, I, I, I see my way back. Everything could be fixed. I booked next, next night, same night, a flight to Malaysia. So I waited for 10 days. No answers would be there, right? So after 15 to 20 days after the Christmas, I saw my application uh, again cleared. I think this, this December 27th, 2016, it was cleared. That's exactly now, two years and two days away from my family. I waited till January 2nd or 3rd because they have a vacation and weekend. I uh, get my passport, I get the visa, the stamp the visa. Now I have the visa. I'm traveling tomorrow back to USA. Gassan by then knew that entry to the US could be difficult. At that time, after the 2016 US elections, the policies towards Muslims entering the country were changing by the hour. Expecting issues, Ghassan carefully chose San Francisco as his port of entry. He thought Customs and Border Protection might be more lenient there. There's an agency. When you arrive, they have the, rule, the right to reject any visa, even if you have a visa. It's called Custom Board Protection. So I think I, I went to uh, uh, San Francisco then, but not JFK, for example, not other, other places. So you know how I arrived and they've grilled me in the airport. They grilled me very well. Of course, I missed my flight as you know, as usual. That's that's expected by the way. So they they really ask questions and back and forth, back and forth. 
and you have to interview someone and then you have to wait and then you have to another one and then you have to take your bag and you have to wait. So total about five hours, almost three hours of investigation, but two hours of waiting. But eventually I, I was cleared. Of course, I missed my flight. I landed on Oregon, I think Portland, uh, January 7th, right? Two weeks after this, Trump issued the travel ban for Muslims. Can you imagine? If I received my visa after two years and I was rushing to the airport, they would reject me because of the travel ban. In fact, at the, at the beginning, they even rejected people with a green card. So I was lucky. Yeah, two weeks only. I think the, the, the uh, executive uh, order was t uh, January 22nd. So I arrived, I entered home at January 7th, 2017. And you remember, my kids, when I left them, they were five and seven. They changed a lot in two years, in many aspects. And we have very rare communication because of the problem of the internet in Yemen. So when I arrived, they changed completely. They don't know, of course, they, they can remember. Five, seven, she, she remember, but she doesn't have any good memories. Uh, and that's never get uh, recovered easily, right? And my, my, my son, he's autistic, so he doesn't understand exact full, full emotion, but at least he was not like into his father. Of course, it wasn't, it wasn't easy, uh, but at least I was happy that I'm back. I lost my feelings, to be honest with you. For some, for some reason, your nerve system starts to collapse because you're relaxed, right? I think after two days, I resume my work. I report myself back to Intel. Now you have a big debt you have to pay. It's about 100K, two friends only. Um, they never ask about it but I keep track of it and I paid them off at the end of 2018. I was so aggressive in myself and my family to try to squeeze because I don't live, I don't, I, it's a personal loan without, without interest. And they're still close friends of mine. So I, I owe them my life for sure. Who's gonna lend you 100K where you do know you're stuck, you cannot pay them all. That's what said, that's the faith, the brotherhood of faith and humanity that's what can make. So I cannot thank them enough. Of course, I came from the war zone. I'm pretty sure I was impacted physically, mentally, without knowing. There's a lot of changes now. Uh, I think I was a bit more uh, in, the, in the angry side uh, because of the situations, because of the, the, the loan. I think the relationship with my, with my kids, it wasn't easy, it wasn't smooth. My, my kids, they are not used to me. And they grow from five to seven. That's, this is a complete life for them. And they're not used to the system. Of course, father is different than mother, right? Uh, but eventually, th th things get actually improved a little bit, but never back to that what we used before. The manager, his name is Tom. When he heard the news, right, of the travel ban of Muslims, especially Yemen, he took me to a conference room. He said, he said, he said Ghassan, this is not America. We are really appreciated. You are an va added value to this country. You are an added value to this uh, company, you are actually a value for us. Uh, this is not this is not America. This is not us. So I apologize on, on behalf of the all American for you. I said, oh, that's 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 great. That was one of the good things. So anyhow, I continue my life, of course. Uh, so that's my my story.
Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story. This episode is part of the I Am an American series, generously funded by Anne Nato Campbell. For more episodes in the series, please visit our website. This episode was produced by Natalia Lopez and with audio editing and post-production by Greg Palmer. The original interview was conducted by our stupendous executive producer, Sankar Rahman, in March of 2022. Special thanks to Nancy Dollahite for helping with the episode. Many thanks to St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Beaverton, Oregon, for the use of their space. And for more stories, visit theimmigrantstory.org backslash many roads. Listen live at prp.fm or stream us wherever you get your podcasts.